Welcome to Constantinople, a podcast of the St. Constantine School. My name is Megan Muller, and I'm here today with Kate Gilbert. Hello. Christopher Yee. What's up? And Jonathan Muller. Hi. And we're going to talk about something that Kate is going to explain. (laughs) So uh, last week, my uh, juniors, our juniors here at the school, read Sense and Sensibility. And whenever we introduce Austin, and actually many of the female novelists from Austin's period and then forward into the Victorian era... Our students who are used to reading epic poetry and profound philosophy and theological arguments are always a little like taken aback by the subjects that Austin focuses on. And particularly a question that came up this uh, week was, well, one of the students just said, it's just a series of dinner parties. It's just a series of (laughs) social events. And I don't understand um, what's significant about it. Uh, But then another student said, well, one of the things I noticed is that we most often value being yourself, or we're often told authenticity is a really high value, and Austin seems not to care about that at all, and in fact is very interested in self-control, and particularly the kind of self-control that fits in with the society of the day. So acknowledging the manners and the expected behavior, and in Sense and Sensibility, Eleanor is one of the few characters who's able to do what she's supposed to do despite however she happens to be feeling at the time or what's going on around her. I think you can see this repeated in many other Austen novels as well, Pride and Prejudice being a notable example. You've got two sisters that know how to behave and three that just do not at all. (laughs) Our students were just really interested in what do manners do? Why would they ever be important? And if they are important, why have we forgotten them? a really interesting question because it seems like it's forcing the concept of duty down into the mundane. Mm -hmm. We expect our heroes to be very noble and know what to do despite how they feel. We expect that on a grand scale, but being able to say like, you know, maybe even if you are living in Regency England and there are very few expectations for you as far as doing grand things, you're a woman of 17 years old, Mm -hmm. you still have a duty and there's a way to perform that duty and there's a way to live in the world that's not just something that's being enforced upon you that's unfair and cruel. It's a way that you are able to find, I don't know, your purpose or what 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 your obligations are, even if in the smallest unit, the family, that's still important. And for some people, it's okay that that's all they experience because depending on where you're born and what time period and what kind of culture you live in, that may be the only thing that's ever asked of you, but you want to be a human that's able to do what's asked of you well so I can see the benefit you know, like our students, there are lots of responses initially that we feel at odds because of the honesty and authenticity mm-hmm. sort of, I don't know if that's a 21st century thing, but we feel at odds with reading about people who are supposed to be polite to rude people mm-hmm. at balls. Well, I think it is very much a 21st century thing, but not exclusively because Austin is right in the middle of the romantic movement and Marianne, her character in Sense and Sensibility is really aware of it and loves it. And her ideal hero is very much the romantic gentleman who rushes in and does what he wants. And so I think Austin is very aware of a very similar thing happening at her time. So I guess one thing that I'm curious about as we start this conversation is, uh, I know this is a really pedantic great books tutor thing to do, but like (laughs) what we mean by manners, Mm -hmm. right? Because I I like Mm -hmm. the idea of thinking about it as duty, but it seems like Sometimes when you're thinking of manners, it has very little to do with a sort of intrinsic human duty. 
and more to do with like a particular duty in a society. I'm saying duty a lot. It's making me chuckle. Uh, right. But like a duty in a particular society. Right. So I think in one sense, yes. So um, being honest, uh, even when it's inconvenient to be, that is a good sort of duty to have. Being sure to use the exterior silverware before the interior silverware <laughs> whilst eating dinner seems like a less important thing to have duty about. Maybe something that you really don't need to have duty about. I don't know. I'm, I'm less convinced there than I would be about the intrinsic moral issues. Mm-hmm. Well, I think at least at the time that Austin is writing um, and even up through, you know, say someone like Yates who says, how but in custom and ceremony are beauty and innocence born, right? Mm-hmm. Um I love that line. But um, <laughs> say it again. How but in custom and ceremony are innocence and beauty born? I think there's an idea in writers like Yeats and Austin and you know in the classical past where even things like the silverware issue will elevate you in some important human way. Though I agree with you, it doesn't seem nearly as intuitive as you know that we be honest even when it's difficult. The issue at the heart of the text is not showing your true feelings. So being able to feel great emotion and in this case, great love for a member of the opposite sex and being willing in Eleanor's case to keep that very contained until she's sure it's the right time and the right place. Namely, that a spoken proposal (laughs) has been given and they have a plan for the future. Whereas with Marianne and Willoughby, they both decide that their feelings should be expressed as they have them when they have them. And so, Chris, it's really interesting. The students wondered if it was a form of dishonesty that manners were promoting because you're not allowed in one sense or you're it's not encouraged to say what you think. This could be anything from I love you to the person that you do love or you are dumb, stop talking to the person across <laughs> the table from you, which there's plenty of circumstances in the book where that would be a very uh, seemingly a fair thing to say it's interesting that we've become so suspicious of convention like a word that we use pretty negatively often is oh that was contrived as you know something that was not authentic and i think austin might say yes contrived very carefully by thoughtful and good people that's what manners are Um, so that's one reason to follow them but that rubs our students the wrong way at least initially Mm -hmm. and and even like depending on how it was delivered that might rub me the wrong way because I don't want to just follow the rules for the rules' sake. I want them to be good rules, too, mm-hmm. and to actually accomplish something good. The rules of sort of courtship and, you know, I've decided, like, I should not say exactly how I'm feeling emotionally about a person at any given time. So that that seems to be a sort of lost art that had I been like sort of brought up knowing might have mm-hmm. saved me a lot of problems mm-hmm. um, <laughs> throughout my youth and mm-hmm. in teenage years and things like that. So that still feels very different to me than the, I don't know. So even in your example, it feels different to say you shouldn't just tell everyone that you like are in love with that you're in love with them than to say you shouldn't tell a maroon who's saying horrible things at a dinner party to stop being horrible mm-hmm. because they're annoying and horrible. Maybe this is just in my personality, uh, but well, I feel... Here's, a, here's an even smaller example, but I think we've absolutely lost the art of and maybe even the value for. Marianne and Eleanor are hosted throughout the book by a woman named Mrs. Jennings, who's very kind and very loving and very dumb and pretty annoying. Eleanor sees it as her duty to make sure that her host 
is listened to and thought about and considered throughout the entire time that they're either just at dinner with her or staying. Marianne thinks she's kind of a bore. I'll do what I need to do, but I'm not going to put myself out trying to like make her feel smart. Again, it's not even attacking a moral evil. This is just kind of a jolly woman who's pretty annoying sometimes. But going out of your way to make her feel honored. There's a complicated example of this, I think, Chris, that makes me kind of have the same questions that you have. It's in Austin. You're never told what the right answer was. In Pride and Prejudice, there's this moment they're at a ball and Mm -hmm. Mary has been sort of like putting herself out there a little Mm -hmm. bit more. She's the third sister. She's very bookish. Um, She's very severe and austere and keeps to herself playing, you know, plays the piano and sings pretty horribly, you know, in in a time when you were expected to be able to sing and play the piano, the pianoforte, Mary does it and practices constantly, but doesn't have the natural talent. And they're at a ball and some of the younger women are taking turns playing and singing. And Mary sits down with her music and starts caterwauling and won't stop. And she won't stop. And no one, like, people are supposed to be getting turns. She has no graciousness. She, It's her turn to shine. She doesn't dance. No one wants to dance with her. So this is her moment. And she just monopolizes the stage. I mean, there's not a literal stage. But she won't let anyone else play. And it's completely out of what mm-hmm. normal society would consider to be good manners for her to be doing that. Her father, who mostly does not concern himself with what his girls or his wife do, do he mostly just sits in his library and hangs out he laughs at them he thinks they're funny but he doesn't try to instruct them or help them to be better people but here they are there's you know hundreds of people around it's a public event his daughter is making a fool of herself and so he walks over to her gently and puts his hand on her shoulder and says mary i think some of the other young ladies uh, would like a turn now and so to us, we're like, oh, the gentle dad, you know, mm-hmm. like inserting himself into this difficult situation and fixing it, but still being kind to his daughter. But it humiliates her in front of everyone. And later, when Mr. Darcy is explaining to Elizabeth all the reasons that he shouldn't love her, one of the reasons he talks about is your family has no propriety. Like mm-hmm. they have no understanding of social uh, manners. They have, you know, they don't care about them. They don't know how to practice them. And he lists off everything that's wrong with everyone in her family. <laughs> and then at the end, he gets to her dad and he, and he says, when your dad went and t- stopped Mary from playing at the ball, it was so inappropriate. I could not believe a, a gentleman had mm-hmm. so such poor manners. And you're reading it and you think, what was he supposed to do? Like, how do you stop her? But mm-hmm. the answer is something like, Mary should have known better. She shouldn't have been doing that anyway. But also, like, maybe if you instructed your children in private, you wouldn't have to instruct them in public. And anyway, it's a, it's a manners thing that I wouldn't have known about. But it's troubling and problematic because you think he's trying to be gentle. He's trying to fix this weird problem. You know, like that moment when there's something bad going on socially and everyone's like, <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? We can't stop it. It's just happening. Like, right, he inserts someone to fix right. those moments. He inserts himself, but Mr. Darcy points that out as like, your father is not a real gentleman. It's tricky. Should I be disturbed that that seems incorrect to me? Like, Well, he doesn't offer what he should have done, and maybe someone who was reading the book at the time would know, but I don't mm-hmm. know. But it makes me wonder, right. you know, even in those moments, like, we... You know, someone being honest and being like, actually, you should stop. Like, you're mm-hmm. pretty bad. I mean, he didn't say that, but like putting putting that out there in a place where people could publicly see you. I think I think part of it is like, why are you instructing your daughter in public? You should have been doing it in private. And part of it is maybe once the awkward thing is happening, the proper manners is to suffer through it. Yeah. 
and ignore it. Mm-hmm. How old is the daughter in this scenario? And she's a young woman, but I think 19, she's probably, yeah, yeah. Maybe she's, should have been married already. She's an adult, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I constantly have to correct and well, do things is, like that this with This is important. Yeah. yeah this people is a good transition. Age, right? like, <laughs> like, it seems very unrealistic to assume that no 19-year-old girl would get herself into that sort of scenario. Like if she had been properly trained at home. Yes, but right. I also assume that any 15-year-old boy should know that they shouldn't go running through the halls of a school with a yardstick chasing their friend. Uh, but oh, apparently, like perhaps when but perhaps the, someone uh, uh, the Metropolitan is visiting yeah. your school. <laughs> so maybe we just have different lines of expected manners that children will always <laughs> confuse us this, with. But this is, I think this is an interesting problem. We were talking about this problem with explaining manners, like why should I care which fork I use first mm-hmm. from the outside in. One of the things that I think about a lot, you know, we have, we try really hard not to have arbitrary rules at this school. We have a reason for everything that we ask them to do, but we're constantly having to remind them of the tiny set of rules that we even do have. Mm-hmm. Like for a school, we really don't have that many rules, <coughs> but even the tiny number of rules we do have there are some students, you're never going to have to remind them what the uniform is, when they're out of it, when they need to change out of their PE clothes, when it's appropriate to yell and scream at their friends, when it's appropriate to throw their trash on the ground, you know, which is never. Just never. <laughs> um, there are some students who you're never going to have to tell that to because the headspace that keeping rules and what is appropriate um, in mind doesn't conflict at all with the, the part of their brain that's doing their schoolwork and making friends and doing all that stuff. But there are some kids where it's like, it's not considered essential information, but we know the human mind is capable of holding infinitely more than anyone's ever tried to put into it. So we're like, why did you forget whatever it is? Mm-hmm. You know, why did you forget to bring your textbook to the class you come to every other day for your whole school year? Like we, this is the time when we do this class. Why is it in another room? The priority of remembering the little things not having that priority is a problem. And then we have to try to instill that in students, even when they don't understand why we have the rules. I mean, most of that's mm-hmm. like uniform infractions and things where people are like, I don't understand why we have to do things this way. And it's like, it's, a, it's an important part of being a human to be able to say, I will remember to be conscientious of this thing that I'm supposed to do, even if it's not the, the you know, the fate of the human race doesn't hang in the balance. It's important to be able to keep those things in mind and practice them while also doing other virtue formation. And education. And, and I also wonder whether a sort of society built on manners in a way that maybe ours isn't might be helpful in sort of instructing a sort of finer sense of reading a room and figuring out when mm-hmm. your behavior is and isn't being considered mm-hmm. appropriate. Mm-hmm. The other day I had a student who was insistent on pretending to be a cat. Um, How old was the student, Mr. Yee? That student was in ninth grade. <laughs> <laughs> and so I... It was the it was a really funny interaction because I sort of, you know, brought up that that seems to be a silly thing to have to even tell him not to do in a classroom, et cetera, et cetera. And at one point he's like, I don't know why it's such a big deal. And that sort of ca- caused me to pause because yeah. I was like, I actually don't know why it is either. It's just really weird and you should stop. Be cool, man. Like, come on. And, <laughs> and then that caused me to realize like, oh, there's like a lot of things that it's hard to actually like send a kid out of class for some of the things that they do that truly make everyone very uncomfortable. (laughs) Because it's hard to sort of explain in that moment exactly what it is that's making everyone uncomfortable because it seems to be just a breach of sort of general good form, Mm -hmm. which is a thing that we don't 
articulate as much anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, John, about the Yates quote, like mm-hmm. how do we think that manners protect innocence? Interesting question. Um, I don't know if I have a great answer for it, but I think we were veering more towards talking about responsibilities a minute ago. And those are definitely connected to manners, but I think we should keep them distinct. Manners seem to have to do with the way that you carry out your responsibility and the way you comport yourself during that. And I think if manners are indeed something that do elevate us and do make us more human in a positive sense, they will protect innocence. They will lead to kind of hopefully virtue. Um, So in that connection to innocence and beauty. Mm -hmm. Um, If we are doing things in such a way that they bring about goodness, I think we are protecting innocence in some way. So one of the things that we talked about in our session with the juniors was that manners seem to be protective, but not just of yourself, of the people around you. It's a kind of prioritizing of the people who are made uncomfortable by your behavior over your own comfort. (laughs) So the student pretending to be a cat, like if he had had better manners, he would have thought, how is this affecting my classmates? Well, it's distracting them. It's confusing them. The good manners would be to stop doing it and to behave in a way that makes them happier to be around you. And that seemed like a kind of protection that perhaps is is a way of practicing something that then protects you in bigger ways. Mm -hmm. I can also see innocence being protected. We live in a world now where you're constantly having to be careful about who exactly you're talking to when you're talking because of online messaging and private versus public postings and, you know, who's in a room we may some people would may describe something as locker room talk. Like mm. people change the way they speak and behave depending on who is around them. There was a time when manners would have indicated that only in extreme situations, if you were an extreme sort of person, would you change the way you spoke about someone dependent on who was in the room. Mm-hmm. And we have this problem. Is you know we we're a pre K through college school. We have this problem when our high schoolers are at lunch in their room and the little kids have to walk through to go to the bathroom. Like the conversations that they feel comfortable having with each other may not be appropriate for second or third graders to hear. Now that's a problem. The problem is that the high school students shouldn't be talking that way Mm -hmm. because manners would indicate that it doesn't matter if there isn't a little kid in the room, you still shouldn't be talking that way no matter what, Mm -hmm. you know, there are things that shouldn't be said. Um, It's not just check to see who's around before you say whatever it is that you feel like saying it's there truly are things that might pop into your head that you should squelch immediately. (laughs) And it's not just because someone might be in the room and hear you. It's because it's not appropriate to say to anyone ever. I see that being a way manners would protect innocence as well. It prevents the sort of accidental exposure of people who are either too sensitive or too young Uh, or too innocent that shouldn't be hearing the things or seeing or the things they may be exposed to. So I I like the idea of of manners as a sort of form of empathy. I I think that's Mm -hmm. really helpful. And I think that helps me connect proper fork usage (laughs) to, you know, when I'm in college, I shouldn't write a song about a girl I like and sing it to her at an open mic night and hope that it goes well. (laughs) True story, kids. (laughs) Did it go well? (laughs) You'd be surprised to find out that it didn't. Um, <laughs> shocked. Yeah, so I think I think that connection, right, the sort of the empathy that's required to 
you know, make sure that you're not mortifying the 80 year old mm-hmm. grandma who expects you to use your forks in a certain way is a sort of small form version of mm-hmm. the empathy that would ask mm-hmm. you to be sure of how you feel and how the other person feels and what sort of future you could have together before expressing romantic feelings. Mm-hmm. I, I think those seem to be a similar kind of empathy, just small and big. Yeah, it reveals a perspective that is kind of outward facing rather mm-hmm. than like the inward, like be myself no matter what. It's an outward facing perspective that reveals that you actually think the world is full of people who deserve dignity and respect. Manners are one way to navigate that. It also separates your identity from your own emotions in a really helpful way, I think. Um, I don't know if it's just being a young person, but I see a difficulty in, you know, sort of the romanticism of Mm -hmm. how I'm feeling must be expressed immediately to the relevant Mm -hmm. parties. We are not our emotions. Our emotions are feelings that we have that come and go and can change completely. The identity that you present to the world or to the people you care about or the people that you know should not be dependent on how you're feeling at that moment because that's not a true expression of who you are. So if you care about the people around you, there may be appropriate times to say, right now, what's happening with me is this, but exposing other people to sort of the ups and downs of your emotions, Mm -hmm. there are... There are layers of people for whom that's appropriate, you know, and the further out you go, the fewer of those fly-by-night emotional changes should be expressed to the surrounding people, partly because they don't deserve that intimate knowledge of you. It's protecting yourself, but it's also, it allows you to maintain what's true about you, your identity, without having to forsake it because you're constantly obsessed with telling people what may or may not be permanently true about you, which is just how you feel right now about mm-hmm. them or that or whatever it is that you're thinking about. So there's like two different things that you, that what you said just brought up in my head, but Marianne makes the mistake in Sense and Sensibility of believing that only people with sort of insignificant feelings can hold them back. So mm. she thinks Eleanor is cold and unfeeling because she's able to keep her emotions to herself. And there's a wonderful speech that Eleanor gives her at one point that says, you are so wrong. Like this has nothing to do with the depth of my emotion. I loved Edward, but I didn't just love him. I also loved my mother. I also loved my sisters. And I'm not going to put on them the burden of this sadness that isn't theirs. You know, it's really wonderful speech. And uh, Austin, I think this is what makes Austin such a wonderful uh, moral teacher is because her characters, when when they do right, they end well. And so Eleanor's ability to control herself um, protects her in ways that Marianne's inability causes her to suffer. Austin just has a very strong view of virtue. It's the way in which the world works best for you, there's a very integrated sort of understanding that goodness will win out in the end. And so Eleanor's willingness to protect other people from herself also protects her in the end from the undeserving like Willoughby. I think sportsmanship and the way kids interact with each other also has something to do with this. Like there's a way to play that is good and there's a way to play that is wrong and kids have to be taught it. Well, games and sports are all conventions. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the youth ministries that I've been a part of for a couple of years, we have groups invent games together. And one of the things they have to sort of discover is that games with no rules don't work. You have to kind of invent boundaries in order to create the very fun that you're trying to create. And we're finding in our young children here at the school that that can be very challenging for them. And especially when they do all the things they're supposed to do within the game and they lose. 
I think there's also an element to which like sport and competition, no matter how small or contrived or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, I think it has the ability, at least in a certain kind of kid or adult or teacher who works here, um, <laughs> to bring about like that sort of deep emotion, that, <laughs> right? Like I, like thinking of even like quiz bowls, right? House yeah, quiz yeah. bowls, wherein our students are competing to give trivia answers <laughs> asked by our beloved provost, Dr. Mm-hmm. Stacy. I don't think he does it anymore, but for a, yeah. For a small number of house points. For a very small number of house points yes. that culminate in, you know, you engrave your name on a shield at the end of the year. Which has never happened. Which has so never happened. Someday, um, guys. So all of that, right? So the, if that's properly illustrated, the smallness of the stakes, <laughs> I found myself getting actually angry like, over what I felt to be unfair officiating in question asking in Quiz Bowl. And I am an adult person to consider himself as one with at least some modicum of self-control. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a funny thing to notice how much, even like watching competitions, I'm like, ah, I hate that person. They're unfair and everything's unfair and I'm angry. And, and I think that tends to come out a lot in sport, mm-hmm. which would make it harder to sort of properly control those emotions if mm-hmm. that's what manners are. Yeah. And I think that draws attention to an interesting um, point that, it is possible to follow all the rules in a sport while still completely violating the manner of sportsmanship mm. and, and how the to spirit how, of the thing itself. Yeah, and how how to cultivate that is a really interesting question because I think we see it lacking at least more than I remember when when I was a kid. It seems to uh, Kay, what you were saying, deep sense of being troubled by losing. That's something I you know no one no one likes to lose, but it seems to be crushing. Yeah. Uh, to many children under the age of 10 in ways that I don't remember. When well, I, when I, I was... wonder if we've done sports pretty badly hmm. insofar as sports are by their very nature games, their entertainment, their sidelines, their um, extra to the work of life, their, their escapes from the work of life. And we have become such a sports obsessed culture that hmm. – we, we don't put them in their proper place. Part of the reason that sportsmanship is a thing is because it's bad to have inappropriately strong responses to a game. As Mr. Yee notices in himself, <laughs> this is silly that I am mad about quiz bowl. Uh, but we haven't really put sports in that place. And so children don't recognize this is just a game. I get to play the game. I get to participate well. But sportsmanship is about being able to say, and now I go back to class and I'm not devastated by my loss because it was a game. Yeah. There's an interesting difference between the games that kids play amongst themselves and the way that kids play games when an adult is officiating or coaching or making the rules. They respond differently. And I think one of the reasons that we're, I don't know, I I don't want to be one of those old fogey sorts who's like, back in my day, we didn't behave this (laughs) way. Yeah, I realized Um, I I might have sounded And so knowing that we constantly have to check ourselves because we're in danger of that. Um, it is just a fact that kids do not play in the neighborhood after school to the extent that they used to. Right. Like, you know, national statistics in the United States, if they are true, then what is happening is kids are overscheduled after school, mm-hmm. but also like people are worried that neighborhoods aren't as safe. 
and they're not allowed to, you know, if you if your kid wanders too far away from your own home, like child services might be called on you. You know, kids just don't play outside as much, so they don't make up their own games. And so they aren't getting used to rubbing each other the wrong way and then realizing that if you can't figure out how to have fun, even when someone has to lose, you can't play anymore. Like, you don't want to be the kid who takes the ball and goes home because they lost, you know? Mm-hmm. You have to yeah. figure out, <laughs> kids have to sort of like work those issues out themselves. And then when they go to school or when they, when they play organized sports for the first time, They've already sort of got that sportsmanship. Like we can't all have fun if we aren't all willing to play in Mm -hmm. a good natured fashion. But if kids aren't getting that at home, like after school, then they're only able to get it at school. And so then we're seeing sort of like the kids who maybe have not been emotionally prepared for losing and understand that if they want to have fun, they need to be better than that. Like we have to help them work through that themselves. It, it occurs to me that we're seeing the beginnings of this very struggle in our one-year-olds. Who oh, play yes. together. Yeah, the Mullers, Beatrice, and um, my son Galen are you know twelve and fifteen months, and they've just recently discovered that maybe the other person shouldn't have any toys. Yes, <laughs> and I should have all the toys. And so you you know, and they're having to work it out amongst themselves a little bit with some adult supervision and guidance when possible it's sort of a natural development that then you have to overcome so that people want to play with you right Mm -hmm. and i wonder if if manners aren't that on an adult scale thank you all very much this was an interesting thing to think about may we all practice our manners with dignity and then help our students experience the same and figure out how to do the same themselves (laughs) all right thanks for listening to constantinople a podcast of the saint constantine school